Hey guys, welcome back to the show. We got a new video, new type of video for you this week. We're going to psychoanalyze The Simpsons, which is, of course, my favorite show of all time. Not going to say it's the best, but I grew up in the 90s. You know, I mean, 90s Simpsons, of course. I grew up in the 90s, so it's what I'm used to. It's well, where I cut my teeth culturally. Yeah, these are my pop culture references. I think this the show has done more than I will ever know to infuse my worldview. So I may be biased here when I think not only is The Simpsons funny, but there's a lot of psychological nuggets here. And I think there's psychological nuggets because it's funny. That's why things are funny is because in part they say something true about who we are. So perhaps the more funny something is, the more there is truth to it. And I don't know if all these psychological nuggets are intended, but that's kind of the idea like of jokes is that is it elicits this unconscious response to us because we get on some level, some psychological level that this is true. So I'm going to go through this, not scene by scene, but I'm going to pick out some some main parts that I think really say something important. Okay. So here we have Grandpa Simpson. This is the opening scene. He goes to a movie, a McBain movie, and he's complaining about it. Takes the form. The theme is kids these days. He calls this, uh, the guy he works here, calls him a whippersnapper. But he works himself in such a frenzy, complaining about this movie, complaining about kids these days, that he has a heart issue. He had a wasn't a heart attack, some kind of heart issue came up. And of course, isn't that what happens? Why is Abe Simpson, why is he complaining? Why is he complaining about the young generation? Because he's not contributing anything, right? He's not being generative. Getting old, that doesn't stress us out. What stresses us out is as we get old, we have nothing to give. We realize we have nothing to give, nothing to bestow on the next generation. And that's why his heart breaks. Because he realizes, you know, I'm just stuck complaining about this movie, whether it's this McBain movie, whether it's a Marvel movie, and I think what, you know, people want to hear I smart, how smart I am about how I criticize this thing outside of me. Nobody cares. We want to hear what you've learned. We want to hear about your experiences, how you've experienced this thing that we all do called life, how you can interpret that through your personality, through your worldview, and kind of churn through it and communicate that to the next generation in a way that could maybe be helpful. That's what we're supposed to do when we become old. That is species expected, I would argue. It is in us to do that. Now, Abe's not doing that, right? He's complaining, so his heart, it breaks. We'll come back to this. Next, we have Lisa and Bart fighting over something that it seems extraneous, but when we look at it, this is not only the conflict that's the, to come. Oh, yeah, I, I guess I should say, I didn't even say this, this, uh, this is a commentary on the episode, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? From the end of the second season. Okay, so this is when Homer figures out that he has a long-lost brother, and he goes and he visits him, and hilarity ensues. Psychological growth ensues. But to uh, 
to foreshadow this conflict we have Lisa and Bart fighting. Now, what are they fighting over? Lisa says, well, Bart was eating green beans during prayer. He's doing something that he's not supposed to do. And Bart goes, he makes a good point. He says, well, Lisa, how would you know that unless you opened your eyes during the prayer? You're paying attention to me, not the prayer. That's something else you weren't supposed to do. Isn't that interesting? So if Bart just ate the green bean and Lisa did what she was supposed to do, then there would be no conflict. And likewise, you know, if Lisa uh, just opened her eyes and Bart wasn't eating the green bean, then there's no conflict. Conflict comes when there's two halves of a whole fighting each other. That's what causes conflict is because there is, there would not be conflict if there was no uh, psychological schism between these two halves, two halves of a whole. That's the idea. But what happens in this fight between Bart and Lisa is a resolution, something that will not happen in this episode. What it will happen in uh, season three, I think the season finale to season three, brother, can you spare two times? two dimes when there is possibly a resolution to the conflict between Homer and his long-lost brother, half-brother. But the conflict resolution here is they start to pantomime. Bart says, I think you stink. He's, again, pantomiming it. And you can see Bart has a little bit of a smile. Lisa has a smile. They both realize they're wrong, right? They both realize this fight's not going anywhere. They don't really resolve it, I guess. They just kind of rise above it, which is maybe one. I don't think it's a full resolution, but based on the worldview of The Simpsons, you know, based on the boomer worldview that informs at least 1990 Simpsons, this would be a resolution. And it may indicate the resolution that the resolution that will come uh, when we discuss Brother, can you spare two dimes? When Homer and, yeah, his long-lost half-brother do, in fact, resolve this conflict. And then Homer gets a call while they're fighting. <laughs> I just think this is a funny expression. So he gets a call saying that his dad had some heart issue. So he goes and visits him in the hospital, and this is when Abe comes clean. You know, he has this heart issue. He realizes unconsciously that it's because he's not being generative. So he begins to bestow a lesson that he's learned. And it's not even a lesson. But I think that's one of the great parts of generativity is you don't pretend like you're perfect, right? You you talk about where you messed up and where you regret things. That That's how we connect with people. We don't give them... Or that's how we influence the next generation, or really influence anybody for that matter. I mean, you connect with them. You don't tell them. You don't give them advice. That that doesn't work. You don't say, here's what you should do. You say, this is my struggle. This is what I've worked through, and here's what I've learned. Take from that whatever you will. You you have your own decisions. I'm not going to try to influence them, which is the implication of advice, or here's a lecture. Or here's me speaking on from on high to you 
and you better pay attention to me because I am your elder and that means I have more experience than you have. Well, yeah, you have more experience, but that doesn't mean necessarily you've done anything from, with that experience. Uh, so this is what Grandpa does. Is he says, I, I am split. Effectively, that's what he says. I am split. There is a part of me you don't know about. And that part of me is represented by the fact that I have, or, or that you have a, a half-brother. I had a, a son out of wedlock when I met your mother. I think that's interesting because why does Abe do this? Why does Abe have sex with this other woman? Even though he met her after he was courting uh, Homer's mother, as Abe confesses. Because, well, the joke is, right? Because she did things that your mother would never do, like have sex for money. All right, so because of these cultural rules of you need to have sex within the confines of marriage and sex outside of marriage is necessarily unhealthy. Right, that comes because we are split culturally. Right? We are very much informed in Western civilization by Christianity. And right, that's neither bad nor good. Christianity is neither bad nor good. There is a truth there, there it's, but it's all in how we relate with it, right? And I don't, uh, well, we, we could argue is that even the Christian thing, it, it's the Christian church thing. It's what a lot of Christian-infused churches would say, that you don't have sex outside of marriage. The implication that sex is wrong. It's this lower form of expression, the sensuous no, not the sensual, yeah, the sensuous, but also the sensual, both connotations of that. It's lower. It, it's not important, doesn't matter. Now, this is presumably why Homer's mother wouldn't have sex with Abe. You know, he was courting her, he knew her, but she was probably saying, no, no, not till marriage. So Abe was split. Abe was split because of this cultural bias, and so he had sex with this woman, like, that's a prostitute. <laughs> She worked at the carnival, like she was a prostitute on the side making money, and here he comes with, uh, and here she comes, excuse me, with Homer's half-brother, Herb. I think it's interesting that Herb here has a five o'clock shadow, which is something that, I guess in season two, the Simpsons were doing more of. It wasn't just Homer who had the uh, perpetual five o'clock shadow, it was other characters, but I think they, they limited it to just Homer's thing. Now, you could have the interpretation that, oh, this means Herb is low class because of mom is some prostitute, but I think we're going to see that Herb is the mind in the mind-body split. Homer is very much the body, right? The lower, Herb is the higher. So maybe what they're saying here implicitly, the animators, the writers, whoever put this uh, stipulation in there to, to, to draw Herb with the five o'clock shadow, even though he's a baby. I mean, this is why... When you see pictures of Jesus as a baby, he, his face looks like a man. I mean, not, not a very masculine man, you know, like a pajama boy kind of man, but a man nonetheless. Like, why would they have, you know, looks kind of creepy. But, well, the idea is that when Jesus came into the world, he was already perfect. And maybe that's the point that they're making here. Herb was already perfect. He was already a fully formed man as a baby, as represented by his five o'clock shadow. I don't know. It's just a thought I had. So Homer learns of his half-brother. He goes searching for it. He goes to this gas station. Because this is where the 
the orphanage was. Yeah, and I think it is interesting that they put uh, Herb, Homer's half-brother, into the Shelbyville Orphanage. Not a Springfield Orphanage, even though presumably Abe is from Springfield. Um, at least he's been living there most of his life, and he was probably living there, you know, when he got this woman pregnant. Why wouldn't they put him in the Springfield Orphanage? Well, I think Shelbyville represents this mirror, you know, this other, this reflection of what Springfield is. And the differences, you know, they seem like a big deal to anybody who is uh, a Springfieldian or a Shelbyvillian. But to anybody on the outside, it just looks like they're the same. Like, why would you guys be rivals? You're exactly the same. Like, anybody outside Alabama can't tell the difference between Alabama and Auburn. You guys even have the same colors. Oh, no, the colors are actually different. Really? They kind of look the same to me. But I get it. If you grow up in that context, I'm sure the colors, the difference between Auburn and Alabama seems like a really big deal to you. Which I think indicates, you know, part of the, the, the dynamic between it in any conflict, right? There's probably a lot more similarity than you'd want to admit. Uh, so Homer goes looking for the orphanage. He goes to a gas station. The guy says, Oh, they, they, uh, that shall be, that should be the orphanage isn't here anymore. And Homer does this big thing where he laments, oh, I'm going to be lonely forever. Isn't this terrible? This is the worst thing. And then the attendant says, well, actually, they just moved across the street, indicating that, you know, as you're going out and searching for your other half, on, on the one hand, you want to do it. But part of you is going to be resistant and any kind of speed bump you come up against, you're going to use that as an excuse to say, I'm, I'm lonely. <laughs> I'm going to be lonely forever. So Homer goes to the orphanage and yeah, it's implied that Dr. Hibbert's brother runs the orphanage and he says, yeah, I have a long lost brother who I've never seen indicating that. Yeah. His brother's Dr. Hibbert in Springfield. And he says, you know, and Dr. Hibbert's brother who runs the orphanage legally can't tell Homer where to find his, his half brother, but he implies it right. He gives these hints of where he is. And he said, you know, the city of brotherly love for you, it's not Philadelphia. I'm guessing it would be Detroit. Meaning your brother's in Detroit. And Homer doesn't get it. <laughs> he doesn't understand. That's <laughs> actually a really funny scene. And nothing makes him understand. Uh, Dr. Herbert's brother just comes out and tells him. <laughs> he just gets so frustrated. Um, kind of like in the Cape Fear episode. Right, when they're trying to give Homer a new name. Um the the FBI guys, you know, when they put him in the witness protection or whatever uh, witness relocation. Uh Bart, I mean, yeah, Bart's the one. So here's so Homer gives this guy a call. Here's his house. It turns out that he's rich. We don't know that yet. This is a Frank Laurie Wright inspired house, clearly. And I don't think I have a picture of it, but the building, oh yeah, I have a picture later, but yeah, you can see the, the building where Herb works. He, he runs a car company. Uh, it's, it's implied that it's Ford, right? I mean, this is implied. This is like a Ford. He's an, uh, he's an industrialist. Uh, Herb Homer's brother is, he's an industrialist. And so it's implied that it's Ford. I don't know 
why why would you make his house a Frank Lloyd Wright inspired house? Why would you make his office Frank Lloyd Wright inspired? Are you trying to say something about modernism? I, I think what we'll see here is that Herb is a lonely, isolated guy because he represents an intellect detached from the supposed lower as represented by Homer, from culture, from people, from the body, from emotions, from sensuousness. He is an intellect detached from these things again is represented by homer and all of his workers are too and, he, and here he is this is how we're introduced to her he's in a meeting with his idea guys and they're showing telling him a new idea for a car they're going to name it the persephone and i was like nobody wants a car this is herb talking he's like nobody wants a car called a persephone y you are detached from from the common man. You are detached from the body. What are your roots? You know, he asked these guys, what are your roots? You don't even know your roots, where you come from. And I think it's this guy here. He says, my roots go back to when Anglos met the Saxons. Right? It is indicating, you know, just this, again, very boomer worldview. Then maybe they ask him, what are your roots, sir? And, and he says, I don't know my roots. All I know is that I'm just a lonely guy. I'm a lonely intellect disconnected from my body. Well, then Homer shows up to visit him. And here we see, you know, another indication that we're dealing with reflections. They're going to be just, you know, from the outside looking in again, maybe they can, um, yeah, they're, they're going to be very similar. They're going to need each other, though it may not seem that way at first. And uh, yep, he's rich. Homer finds out that he's rich, which is kind of strange because, I mean, if your half-brother was essentially the guy who ran Ford, I don't... It just seems like you would know the guy who, who ran Ford. You would know that maybe before even driving there. It doesn't matter. Um, so Homer is introduced to the intellect. We're going to see how Homer inf influences intellect. But we're also going to see how, or yeah, excuse me, we're going to see how the intellect influences Homer. But we're also going to see how Homer influences the intellect. And here Herb is being introduced to a very catonic creature, a baby. Uh, yeah, that that's what's happening here. I, I, I thought maybe there was something else I had to say here. Maybe not. And this is one of my favorite lines, Homer. Uh, Herb says to Homer, you're the richest guy I know. And Homer says, I feel the same way about you. Or he just doesn't get what Herb means. He almost does, maybe. It could have been implied that he almost does. But he doesn't really get what Herb means. And so... Uh, Homer comes and stays with her, and he says, hey, I'll give you a car. Pick out any car you want. And here we see the Frank Lloyd Wright-inspired offices. It looks like the Guggenheim, right? Um, the outside does as well. And Homer says something like, I want a car. Uh, I want a big car, right? I want a big car with fins. And here we see the two guys, two idea guys. I think this guy on the right is the Anglo-Saxon. You say, well, we don't make big cars. People don't want big cars with fins. Who, you know, that was the 50s. Who wants a car with fins? 
And Homer says, okay, well, I want a car with a lot of pep. And these guys say, well, no, people don't want cars with peps. With pep, excuse me. And then Herb says, yeah, well, this is exactly my point, guys. Homer, tell the nice man what country you are from. He says, America. Americans want big cars. You want cars with pep. And the reason why sales are going down is because you guys are out of touch with the common man. Which is true. There's a definite truth to that. Um, but I think Herb is going to make a mistake here. That the intellect often does when it comes up against the body. This is part of the introduction. And it's a herb, it's a mistake that herb makes. And, and it's such a natural part of our growth. And it's so ingrained in us that they're not going to resolve this conflict in this episode. Um, so Homer puts, uh, or excuse me, so herb puts Homer in charge. But you know, herb is affected too. Herb is affected by the body. He placates it. Right? He indulges the body. He indulges his unconscious when it shows up in the form of Homer and his family. Bart wants to take a boat ride. Lisa wants to take a pony ride. Boat ride, pony ride, boat ride, pony ride. And then the next scene, of course, Lisa's taking a pony ride on a boat. Just overindulgence of the body. Homer, meanwhile, you know, he goes to these meetings. He's meeting with the idea guys. And he's, you know, He's being stupid. They're not accepting him. They're not listening to him. They're not accepting him. Uh, which I would say, you know, these intellect that the guys here who represent the head, the mind and the mind body dichotomy, they, they do need to listen to Homer. They do need to listen to their unconscious, their lower self, but they don't need to put him in charge. Right? So they're right not to put Homer in charge here, but they're wrong to ignore him completely. And they say, look, you're not going to help. Just go get us some coffee. And Homer walks away sheepishly. Oh, okay, I'll, I guess I'll do that. And then later Homer meets with Herb and he says, oh, no, I'm not really participating or what Homer's saying. And, you know, Herb understands that he's not really in charge. He's not really participating. And Herb gives him a pep talk, right? The body, the defeated body meets the mind. And what does the mind do? Because it doesn't really understand. It hasn't quite yet listen to the body. In fact, you could argue Herb's not listening to Homer at all. And so instead of listening, instead of communicating well, Herb gives Homer a pep talk. He says something to the fact of, before you say anything, you tell yourself, if I've ever been, if I've ever believed anything, I believe in this now. Mindset training. Affirmations. And uh, meanwhile, I guess the next scene, Herb is watching cartoons and he says, I can't believe I wasted my life in shareholder meetings, in business, accumulating this money, you know, working my intellect. Uh, I've, um, it's, it's been a waste. I, I, nothing's more fun than watching cartoons. Again, you see the intellect overwhelmed by the sensuous. So Homer's in charge of the car. He goes back and bosses everybody around. And what they get is this, uh, the Homer, this, this terrible car. And what did Herb do? He put the body in charge. 
He put the body in charge. Homer didn't know. And what we get is an abomination. That this is when you, you're going to make your worst mistakes. Is when you do this. Um, is when you repress part of yourself for such a long time that you don't even know how to communicate with it anymore. So when it erupts and it inevitably, it, it, it inevitably will erupt. That's when you're going to make the biggest mistakes. That's when you're going to mess up your life. So when you do that, um, when you're split, like Abe is split, right? Is represented by Homer and Herb. They're split. And you can see there's still no resolution at the end of the episode because Herb's still mad at Homer. He says, you must, you, you ruined this for me. Herb is unable to see how he is in fact responsible. How Herb, the consciousness, is responsible. Even though it was Homer who did it. Yeah, well, you weren't listening. You didn't understand the nature of the unconscious. And you were so exhausted. You know, you know having, holding that baby in your arms was just such a relief oh it felt so good you probably felt oxytocin which you haven't felt in a really long time and you're just like oh my god this is like drinking from a, a you know like a dry sponge water that kind of thing and that's why you put it in charge you didn't realize how stressed out you didn't realize how disconnected you were that's why you put homer in charge and that's why your business went under Still not able to take responsibility for it. That's okay. We're going to get maybe perhaps a semblance of the responsibility of the resolution between Herb and Homer in season three with Brother Can You Spare Two Dimes. And we'll leave it there. Thank you guys. Let me know if this is helpful at all. I mean, I like doing this. This is fun for me. Gives me the chance to look through a Frankie Ack and, and, and look at all these stills. <laughs> reminding myself of how much I love the Simpsons, the 90s Simpsons. Um, and if you're interested, we can maybe help you uh, do some of this reconciliation of your consciousness and your unconscious by showing you how emotions work, how they're structured, and this informs a relatively definite structure for therapy and a relatively definite endpoint that we all need to get to. If you want to find out more, we do free consultations in missempire.com slash schedule uh thank you guys and yeah i'll end it there